Well, well, well. We uh, get to celebrate our Lord constantly. We don't want to know that uh, Son of God, Jesus Christ, He is who we need most. And we need a fresh vision of Christ every day. Constantly, don't we? A continual vision of Christ. You know, um, do we ever get enough of that? This is why we're here. Yeah, new every morning, every day, every moment. Christ should be dominating in our thoughts. Take a look at who He really is. And do we ever get that today in our passage? I'm telling you, I'm excited about this. I was excited all week, but it got to this morning. I just read through the verse again, which I've read time and time again all through the week, and it really finally stuck out at me. It's like, I've got to proclaim this. I've got to get this out some way that people can get this view that is so high of who Christ is. You know what? We need strength today and bright hopes for tomorrow, don't we? Where did that come from? Great is thy faithfulness? Is that where that came out of? Anyway, strength today and bright hope for tomorrow because I'm not going to have a dark winter like some are saying. Now we're hearing that, aren't we? A lot. We have reason to have a bright, beautiful day every day. Now, not that the sun's going to come out every day. And it's going to be nice like it is in that sense. But it could be. <laughs> but that is a symbol of the way it is for us as Christians. We have every reason. And when we, and you say, well, I don't feel it today. I don't think anybody's going to say that, but you might, you might be feeling that some days. Honestly, I will tell you that because Christ is on the throne. We have no need to worry, to be concerned. We have every reason to see how far this thing goes into eternity and that God is in control. I think I've got to go down here and pick this up right there. Okay. There we go. And uh, we start a new section today. As if you can't tell, I'm excited. And when we walk out of here today, you guys, if you're not excited, I have failed. Or you haven't paid attention. <laughs> and it's not going to be me because I'm going to be coming up short with the words to be able to describe this. The Word of God will leap off the page to you and with His Holy Spirit you will become even more alive than you were when you came here today because God is going to speak to us today. How about that? Praise God. New section. We've had a three-point outline for this book of Revelation. First point is what was. And we saw a picture of Christ in Revelation 1. And then what is, and that was what we did for two chapters or seven churches or seven weeks and it was dealing with the judgment on the churches. See, the judgment has to start with the household of God. And that's the way He does. And then in chapter 4, He then comes on the scene. We, see, we go up to heaven. We're going into heaven and glimpse of what it's like there. And if you're a Christian, you don't fear. But if you're an unbeliever, you would have everything to fear. Now there is a... Uh, 
a definitely reverential awe and fear in that way when we look at this because it's intended to be that way. Chapters 4 and 5 go together. We'll do 5 today. I don't even know if I'm going to get through 4, <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm telling you, it is exciting. I'm promising you. You'll wonder, what is this? What's it about? And then when we start in chapter 6, we're going to see what happens to the world. And I'll tell you what, the timing on this is incredible because I've been studying for almost 40 years a one-world government, a one-world religion. started out in the very early 80s. About the same time I became a Christian was about the time 1980. It's whenever I really started looking at it, and so I thought we could be really close. And the more time went and we saw different things happening across the world. The United States has been a sovereign nation. There are a few nations that have been sovereign, but they want to get together as one. And we see a problem in that, and it goes back to Babel. The Tower of Babel, God did not man want man to become one. He set the boundaries. And what's happening now is exactly what I've been reading about and studying for 40 years. And it may not be in my lifetime or the next generation. I'm not predicting that. I cannot do that. Nobody can. But I can tell you that we are now on the verge that's the closest ever in the history of mankind for things to go down the way that God has designed it. And if it does, I will tell you, it's God's will. Because He is on the throne. Even as bad as it may look, it's actually good because it means His culmination is there. It means His plan is coming through. I, in my prayer though, continue to pray that things would go righteous whether it be the deal with the voting that's happening in the Georgia, or whether it be happens with the vote count that was unjustly done to our president, who I would say won in a huge landslide. It wasn't even close. So, what I'm saying here now as I read this text, it speaks to me loud and clear. God is doing His thing. And whatever it comes out to be, I rejoice. Because it's good. And it has to happen before He comes back. There has to be a one world government. And that's what they want. And in a few months, they're promising there's going to be a reset. And that's when it clicks. It's already started. But in a, in a fullest sense, it could be this year. But God can always stop the clock. And He's done that in our time. Just four years ago, He stopped it. Twenty years ago, He stopped it. But I will tell you that His timing is always perfect. And when we get into what's going to happen in the future, this is really where I started at in this introduction, past present, the present was the churches, and then in chapter 6 are the future things. Things that will happen that could happen tomorrow. And it's so fully revealed in this. And just remember, the book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's who we focus on as we go through here. We're going to see all sorts of symbols and representations.
And they're interesting. But that's not the focus of this book. The focus is always Christ. So as long as we keep that, we'll keep things where they need to be. So, we're shifting to the throne room, folks. We're going into the Holy of Holies. We're going to take a glimpse with what John saw. Judgments are going to take place on planet Earth like we've never seen before. And before that judgment starts, we all get to take this glorious, splendid, majestic scene. We get to take it in of heaven and the best of all descriptions of the beauty and the excellencies of our great, glorious, almighty God. And it starts right here in chapter 4, verse 1 through the chapter. I didn't divide it up because it was too much, too good. I wanted to get to it. I could do it in four weeks. I don't know what's going to happen with this. I've already taken too much time. But I'm just stressing. Be ready. Listen, read. The key theme here is throne. Thirteen times you will see throne or thrones. Winston Churchill said this, speaking of government, he said that democracy was the greatest of all the kingdoms of the earth. But he said something else, and he said, they were all failures before, and democracy will fail too. Because it's still involving people. And that's really what it is. It's where the people rule. And you and I know we've had a great, with this kind of democracy, this new experiment, and it is tremendous. But because of humans and because of man, because of sin, the fall of man, everything breaks down. So the kingdom that is coming will prevail and last for eternity. It will be seen. That kingdom is already here. If you're, in a, if you're a Christian, you're in that kingdom spiritually. But I want to see it. Amen. I want to feel it. I want to be there in it. Seeing the king in person. That will happen. It's a view of the brilliant, radiant, holy and just king. What's the significance of knowing the Lord is king and He rules and He reigns. What is the significance of that? Well, knowing that as Christians makes all the difference in this world. Because we experience a world that is mostly rebellious against the King of Kings. You see, John wrote directly to the saints that lived in the world. As he wrote to them, they were experiencing suffering and tribulation in their own sense. Persecution was really happening at that time from the Caesars of Rome. They were underneath a different nation. An empire. They weren't their own country. You see, it was almost a one-world government at that time, wasn't it? It failed. They all failed. Caesars, Tyrants against Christians, 
It's comforting to us to know who our real king is. John doesn't want them to forget that God is still on His throne. You know, we, we say that often, don't we? He's still on His throne. It's really our title today. God is still on the throne. Do we sometimes intermittently forget that? I do. I confess, I need a fresh look at this chapter 4 and 5 to get things back into perspective. I do need to know what's going on in the world. I think we're responsible for that. I don't want to be ignorant. But all I know is everything that's going on is going to wax worse. So, as he writes to the people in tribulation, it wasn't the tribulation that is to come in the future, because nothing's like that. He wants to know that their fortune, their future, is not in the hands of a human despot. Caesar, any tyrants, tyrants are all over the world. They want to be in our country. They want to be in our states. They want to be in our cities. And they certainly are doing that as they are taking away freedom to worship Christ. It's all over the place in our country. Who would ever thought that under the guise of a virus? So, we know it's in the hands of an almighty God. Chapters 4 and 5 are doing this. They're setting a scene. These two chapters are for all that's going to come in chapter 6 through 22. We spent seven weeks on the seven churches in two chapters. I don't know how long it's going to take. We could take a jet tour and do it all in one week. But we might take a little more time than that. No matter, no matter what may happen on, on earth, no matter what is going on, we are drawn into this vision. We are looking at this and realize that there is a lot to see in heaven. There is the throne of God. Nothing compares to it except for one who sits on the throne of God. The Lamb of God. He's on the throne. He sits on it. The chapter begins. We're going to be drawn into the vision and suddenly we're going to become face to face with the ineffable majesty himself. Are you ready? Amen. Let's read it. Revelation 4, starting at verse 1. Let's stand. After these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. And one sitting on the throne. And he was sitting like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. 
Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and because of Your will they existed and were created. Praise Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom on how to interpret this and let us have a fresh glimpse of the Lord God Almighty in His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Amen. Amen. We're ready. <laughs> We're ready. Most pastors would be done. It takes me a while. Most would be done because they usually have about 20 minute sermonettes. Pretty close. That's about, that's about it. You guys ready to go home? <laughs> Let's hear what God says. Not what Dennis says, but what God says. We just read it. Let's ponder on it. You caught the word, didn't you? Throne. Did you guys catch that? Amen. What that means is that He's on the throne. Praise God. That gives me great comfort, encouragement. That's what we're here for today. We're getting no condemnation here today, folks. If you're a believer, this is all commendation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to get a glimpse. What a revelation. Revelation of Jesus Christ. We saw Him in chapter 1. Now we see Him in chapter 4 and 5. And you'll continue to see Him all the way throughout. Despite the awful 
judgments that are to come upon this planet. After these things, after these things, after chapter 2 and 3, after the churches, after the judgments on the churches, I looked and behold, whoa, wow, take a look at this. An open door in heaven. An open door. One of the first things that we encounter here is that John is transported to heaven. The door is just wide open for him to see clearly. For him to see a revelation about future events that we all can see that's coming on the horizon. It allows entrance folks, into the very throne room of God. In the likes of some scenes that we've seen before, especially out of the Old Testament, such as in Ezekiel chapter 1. We've entered now into the throne room, as, or we're looking at it. John's going to take us into the holies. And he said, the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me. <clears throat> was it a literal trumpet that was speaking? What's like a trumpet, it says. In Revelation, you'll get like. John is just trying to say things here that he cannot put in human language. He helps us out the best that we can because all we can understand is where we have been, what we've learned, and what we know. And to describe something in some kind of a language that you don't know, you can't do. And even if you could, we cannot understand. One day we will enter into the heavens in glorified bodies, and we'll be able to see and hear and speak things. It's not even close. Way past what we have today. So he puts it in an earthly realm. A trumpet really did this. It called people to events, to festivals. They would have the trumpet call and people from all over the land would come when they hear that trumpet. We're waiting for a trumpet. The trumpet for when Christ comes back and we meet Him in the air. And there's going to be a trumpet blown. However that is, I don't know. Whatever it is, we're going to know it. It's going to be like a voice. Come here. Come up here. The trumpet, whatever it is, is going to be coming for you. It's an authoritative voice. It's a commanding voice to a festival, to a judgment. Come up here. And he says, I was in the Spirit. At this time, he had been on the Isle of Patmos, and immediately he is taken up. He said, In the heaven. I think that's incredible. And of course, you remember in chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was made transcendent in that he transcended the earth, went into the dwelling place of God and the angels. And then he says at the end, he says, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. After these things is what? After the judgment on the churches. Now I wanted to show you, you think that was something? 
I'm not going to judge the world. This is something that we've always wanted. Sometimes He does it in bits and pieces. A lot of times we recognize it. Other times we don't. During this time, it will be very evident where these judgments are coming from. They're coming from the throne room of God. All we are knowing that this is going to happen because He says this must take place. That means it will take place. God is saying, I promise this is going to happen. This is my divine plan. This is my will. This is my decree. Here is my purpose. Guaranteed it will happen. He's guaranteed things all along. Has He ever been wrong? No. He even fore... I guess, uh, forecast. <laughs> predicted. Prophesied that His Son would come to earth. He did. He also said that His, his Son would be killed and would resurrect on the third day. We've seen all of that happen and one promise after another. One promise after another. One prophecy. It's always will. He's going to do it. Believe it. Now, verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, there's the second behold, check it out, a throne. The first of 13 mentions in this chapter throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. So you have a throne in heaven and then one sitting on that throne. Central theme is what? Throne. Uh, Psalm 103.19 The Lord has prepared His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Maybe Isaiah 66.1 may be of uh, something that John thought of whenever he was there. 66.1 basically is saying, Heaven is my throne. This is to establish God and all of His rule. He is reigning. All throughout the book of Revelation, we see that the throne is actually in the temple. The dwelling place of God. The Holy of Holies. It's associated not only with the sovereign, it's not only associated with God's judgments, but His holiness. It's associated with worship. The throne room is also in the temple. They're the same. It's a dwelling place of the holy God who is the only one. He is the one to be obeyed. But it's not only that. He's not only to be obeyed He's to be sovereign, and He is sovereign, but He is to be worshipped. He is to be adored, and we see that in chapter 4, don't we? What an amazing presentation of Him. Isaiah 6, chapter 1. Famous passage where Isaiah is taken into this same scene. It says, In the year of Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Uzziah died. Isaiah is taken into a temple. 
sees the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood before Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy to the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah saw that. 1 Kings 22.19 It's before the prophets, or after the prophets section during that time, and we see 1 Kings chapter 22.19 Got a guy that's by the name of Micaiah, prophet, and he said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by Him on His right and on His left. There is what He sees. It's like what Isaiah sees. It's like what John sees. God is the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. What a place. So, now we have a throne in heaven. Then we see one sitting on the throne. The throne is tremendous. But only because of the one sitting on the throne, there's an aura coming from the divine persons of God. John cannot fully put this in language. How do you describe this? And it's what he does all through Revelation. It was like this. It was like that. Some of those things could be exactly that. There are a lot of things that maybe he sees that was not even invented yet. Technology and such. We don't know. But he says, it, it looked like this to me. That's as good as he can come. He's trying to convey the full-orbed attributes of God. That's what I'm trying to put forth today. And, and, and really, it's almost futile. How can I put it out for you guys to get it as excited as we need to be? But if you read it, you're going to get it. You've read it before. You've got it. Maybe you didn't. But I want to tell you the nature of this scene with all its details and all of its majesty is unfathomable of this Almighty God. Make Him be bigger in your view than ever before. So He's going to use language here to help us. John Calvin always called this baby talk. God getting on the level of man. We do it with babies, don't we? Dada, Mama, you know, right? That's how God speaks to us because His level of speaking is far above the human language. But it gets on our level and it reveals who He is. Okay. Penny, are you ready for this? I don't know. <laughs> I've been looking at those stones all 
There we go. That's all I needed because Penny loves stones. And I and I gotta say Frida does too. And she got a bunch of stones that were from Michigan that were incredible on her last trip way up north Michigan, right? And around that area inside. Those are precious. Now, I've always had a hard time really adoring precious stones. Somebody really has to describe it to me, and I look a little bit harder, and I go, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. Little kids out of here love it when they get out in the rocks. You ever noticed it? It's cool. They'll pick something because it's pretty. And, I'll, you know, in my own thought, I would go, that's a bunch of rocks. They're looking at them, and they're shorter. You know, they can get down there real easy. You know what I mean? And, you know, they pick those up, and they, they give it to you. and they, You know, it's like a gift. And you start looking at it, the sun is shining and boom, glimmering off. And you go, yeah, that is pretty. You know, it might be black, it might be a little bluish or whatever. You go, how'd that get there? You know, we miss a lot of things. Or I miss a lot of things. But when you start studying these stones, they're precious. Something that God has given us to help us understand the beauty of heaven. We have quite the beauty here on earth. You go out, you just take a walk on a lovely day. You can't help but crying out to God, saying, God, this is amazing that you'd give this to us, a beautiful day, beautiful scenery, walk out in the woods and, you know, you know, a lake or something, and you go, y'all guys, you go, wow. This is something. And this is a tainted earth. This is with sin. Can you imagine whenever sin is taken out of this earth, we get a new heavens and a new earth? It's going to be so much above what we can ever even imagine, even think. Well, John does the best that he can by the Holy Spirit. I think it's rather incredible. I just have some pictures up there. And that's a poor representation, first of all. Somebody probably could have gotten better, but I did the best I could. John's overwhelmed. He's referring the beauty that he's seeing in this throne room to precious stones and jewels. The best. He goes for the best. Jasper is a clear jewel. Jasper is purity. God is surrounded and is holy. Emanating from that throne is pureness. It's crystal. Look in Revelation 21, verse 11. This crystal, this stone, we see here, this jasper is mentioned. He says, he's talking about the holy city Jerusalem in uh, verse 10. Coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. This is rare. It's precious. It's worth a lot of money. You don't see these very much. And when you do, you go, oh, Wow. So God uses stones 
to help a little bit of describing what's going on here. It's a clear jewel. The brilliance of the holy city, Jerusalem, is the brilliance of the glory of God. It's coming down out of heaven. The glory of God will be seen by our glorified eyes one day. John saw a brilliance like a very costly stone. Crystal clear jasper. And whenever the light hits crystal clear, what does it do? It just emanates from there. He's describing a diamond. The most brilliant, the most majestic, glorious rock there is. The most precious, the most magnificent, a flawless diamond, perfect. And it's refracting all the colors of a rainbow, of the whole spectrum, in unbelievable brilliance. And if we were to see it today, we would be blinded. We couldn't. But John somehow takes this and he says, it's like a jasper. And then he says it's, it's like something else. It's like a jasper stone and a, and a sardius in appearance. You remember that church in Sardis? The city Sardis? This is where the sardius came from. We know it's a ruby red stone. It is fiery. We've just seen a clear stone. What did that represent? Purity. Holiness. Now we see a stone that is fiery. It's red. Are you grasping this? Judgment and holiness. Purity and absolutely perfect justice. Wow, that's what we need today, isn't it? This is a blazing, fiery nature of God's wrath. It's fury. Some senses it's not comforting. Because when you think of the wrath of God, and what he's seeing here is this brilliant flashing red, fiery, brilliant, glorious, splendid, magnificent, wrathful kind of frightening experience that John is seeing as he's looking in to the throne room. I don't know how to describe it. I'm trying to use these adjectives in a way that will leap off the page. The Almighty God was clear. And He was brilliant and blazing and fiery. That's what He said. These represent His nature that John saw visibly. Now, one other interesting thing. Going back to the Old Testament, you have the great high priest. A high priest. A high priest had a breastplate. On that breastplate were stones. Twelve of them. You know what the first one was? Jasper. These represent actually the twelve tribes, twelve children of Israel or Jacob. Each one is representing that. It's the nation of Israel. Reuben was the firstborn. He was represented by Jasper. Benjamin was the lastborn, and he was represented by the Sardius. Leon Morris commenting on this, and he knows that we can't 
get to the fullest of what this is, I would love to bring up a video and show that. I'd love to bring up pictures and there's nobody that can duplicate this and, and, and to paint it. You can't paint this. You can't put anything down on video. You really can't. Leon Morris said this, flashes of light from precious stones form an apt symbol of the divine presence. This is why at once they are restrained as regards detail, but clear as regards the excellence. That's what Leon Morris said about this. In other words, there's a blinding excellence whereby you know there's something great here, there is something other coming here. There is something transcendent here that you are viewing. But you can't focus on it totally. That's why you're saying, I'd love to get one more, you know, a little glimpse of this somehow. You can't describe it in its perfect way. You can't see it in specific detail, but you're getting a really pretty good picture. It's still fuzzy. I think John Morris, or, or not John Morris, but Leon Morris is right. I think he's right. I think it, it is John's attempt here to depict the glory of God that emits from this great throne. You see, God is light. And that's all the colors in the spectrum. How do you define God? He is light. Okay, there's one other one. He who's sitting like a, uh, was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne. Like an emerald in appearance. <laughs> Have you often wondered what look like? What color is emerald? Green. A rainbow is made up of, they say, seven colors. All the spectrum. This is a special green rainbow. It dominates here in its color. It may be the green is just dominating and stands out, and yet it's a full-orbed rainbow. A green emerald can flash off all kinds of colors. Have you ever seen an emerald? Have you ever, has anybody ever seen that when all the colors come off of it with all the light coming out? I bet you've seen that, right? Off of an emerald or what? Off the emerald. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just off of like a crystal. And so therefore, and we, we see the crystal. We see the sardius. Now we see this emerald. Can you imagine the colors that are here? In its full light. In its perfect way that we've never seen. But we see rainbows and what do we do? Wow! Ezekiel 1.28 says there was a rainbow, a radiance around him, and it had the appearance of a rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day. That's what we see. And all of a sudden the light hits it, the sun hits it, and sometimes it is just, 
just hard to describe. You got to tell somebody. You got to take a picture. Even when you take a picture, it's still not the same thing, is it? But you're overwhelmed by it, especially when there is a double rainbow. This is coming from God. You know, God put that up there. And we know what that's about. Now, it's twisted today because there are a group of people, LGBT, the homosexuals, identify with the rainbow in the New Age. Used that as a symbol back in 1980. They had the rainbow. They, see, they, the devil always takes something that is so beautiful from God, or they don't really take it from God, but what they do is Satan can't create, so what does he do? He copies it. And bends it the way that he wants it. He perverts everything that is beautiful. Everything that we have is beautiful. He comes in and perverts it. Destroys everything that's good. Well, we know what that rainbow is about though, don't we? They can say all they want. But it represents the faithfulness of God because He said to Noah, that's who the promise was made, and then to the rest of mankind. This is the Noahic covenant. And He says, I will not destroy the world again by water. So every time it rains for day after day after day, we begin to wonder, wonder if it's going to flood, right? Flood this earth. No, it won't. It can't. God's already promised it. Has it ever happened since? No. Worldwide flood? No. Isn't that awesome? God is faith- That is a covenant promise. God is faithful to His covenant promises. And so therefore, there He has the rainbow there showing that He is faithful. We've seen something in His holiness and in His justice, His judgment, and then we see the faithfulness of God. We look at that judgment and we can become very scared. And yet we say, remember, God's covenant with you. Does that help? We see His mercy and His grace all in this, but He has to be a God of fiery judgment. He has to be a God of wrath. Would I have made up a God with being a God of wrath? Probably not. Well, He has to have wrath because if He doesn't, we're going to have these same people up there with us and they won't praise God. How would you like to spend eternity with people who don't want to praise God? A holy wrath. The beautiful green hue of faithfulness. Are you seeing the attributes of God in these colors? His holiness. His wrath. His faithfulness. Wow. You know, judgment is never overruled by His promise, by His faithfulness. John sees an unbelievable vision here. On the throne is Almighty God. And around the throne is this rainbow. You see the stones. And there's a lot more around this throne. By the way, did you know how Revelation 3 ended in verse 21? He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Are you guys encouraged today? You know what? I don't care what the news says. 
this is the greatest news ever. And it blows away everything else that's going on. This should dominate our thoughts. And the moment it's not, I challenge you, turn to Revelation 4 and then chapter 5. Reading to chapter 5, Jesus takes the scroll. I suppose we'll be in that next week. Keep praying that we have the freedom to worship. Many, many people are not being able to worship in the United States today. We have quite the privilege. Keep it up, Lord. He will. Now, that's nothing. Actually, I shouldn't say that's nothing. What I'm saying, it just because it's everything, we're, we're seeing Christ in present, but it, it, it gets more fascinating. That's really probably what I should have said there. Without going into too much detail, no one can really come up with the full answer on what is that we're going to see dealing with the 24 elders. Around the throne, throne, were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting. It's hard to picture this. I've got, what is it? Oh, I need to go back. Uh oh. Uh oh. See it. I don't know what I did. That's it, right? No. No, one more. Back. It's not going. You're stuck. Here we are. No. Well, okay. Here we are. You got thrones there in a picture, and you got elders. Uh, who are they? What are they? Uh, you've got the brilliant light, you know, coming there. How can, you know? We're not glorified. We can't get, but we kind of get an idea. Twenty-four elders uh, around God's throne. Scholars have described this differently. Some say they're angels. Some say that they are representing the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles of the New Testament, being twenty-four. Uh, some say that they are representing the 24 courses of the priest that are found in the Old Testament, being the nation of Israel, or Israel and the church. And I can't tell you fully, totally what it all means. I kind of favor that. I like the 12 and the 12. That's pretty interesting. These would be believers in uh, the Messiah, in Christ. Um... That's what John is seeing as he looks into the future. Something like that. Uh, also, we, we know that in the New Testament, the saints are seen as kings and priests, right? We are royalty. What they're wearing, though, is described right after this that we just read, right at the end of verse 4. What they're wearing... 
white garments and crowns. I never see angels with crowns even mentioned. It could be. It doesn't say it though. White garments almost always throughout Scripture speaks of the saints, the church, believers. And the crowns are the rewards that they're given. We see it throughout the New Testament. And we see it when Christ comes back, they'll be dressed in fine white clothing, dazzling is the idea, that idea of white, fuller soap. <clears throat> trying to look at something that's white. How about a piece of paper? A piece of paper is white. It doesn't match up with this white here. Brilliant light. White garments, golden crowns. I think that's representing us, the believers. Representing believers maybe all through Old and New Testament time period. Representing us as they are there. Interesting, isn't it? And then, verse 5, out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Reminds me of the Old Testament whenever Moses was going to get the law from God and the people came up just to a certain point and they couldn't get any further. Lightning and thunder was coming from there. What does that tell you? Fear God. He is awesome. But at the same time, you are amazed by lightning, aren't you, sometimes? And the show that lightning puts on. And then the claps of thunder. The burst of thunder. The bombing sound. It's overwhelming sometimes, isn't it? That comes from God. We know that. Signs in the sky that God is God. He's sitting on His throne. He calls the shots. Yeah. Well, we move on. That's a scene of judgment, folks, is what that is. But we view it as it's coming from God. It's a good thing. I remember Johnny, whenever I get with uh, Johnny, we go outside sometimes and we could see the thunder, and, or see, hear the thunder and see the lightning off, in the, you know, the, off into the hills and such, sitting out there on the front porch. Saw that quite a bit, you know, and it was like, he goes, wow, this is amazing. Look at this show that God's given us. He loved to watch, look at the stars and the moon and just, he was amazed by God's creation. Does that sound like Johnny? He loved, he saw God in the right way. Other people would say, ah, I hate this lightning and thunder, I can't take it, you know, this rain that's coming. And he saw the beauty of it. He was just absolutely amazed. Well, I'll tell you what. We're amazed too. Amen. It's not a bad thing, is it? Something God does. It's a good thing. We need that. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. He just explains it right there who it is. Uh, we don't have to reinterpret this. You already know who it is. Who is it? It's the Holy Spirit. Back in Revelation 1-4, we've already talked about this a few times. 
John 1, 4, Revelation 1, 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And we realize this is the fullness of God's Spirit fully in place at this time here. Um, I know, I think it was in um, another passage in, in Isaiah, talked about, I think it's a chapter 11. Yeah, it's the full ministry, the seven spirits, the perfect spirit, full orb nature of His ministry and His majesty of the Holy Spirit. Now, and so the Spirit of God is there, Christ is there, of course the Lord God Almighty, the Father is there, you've got the church or believers there this time, all around Him, and we have the, you know, in verse 6, and before there was, before the throne again, there was something like a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center, around the throne, then you get into the four living creatures. What do we have? A sea of glass. A sea of glass. When you think of sea, most often you think of, you know, those waves coming up, taking down ships as as the sea is done throughout mankind's shipping history, killing... Who knows how many sinking ships. Sea is representing disturbance. It can be mild at times, but it's still always moving, and you know at any time a storm can come up. The sea speaks of restlessness. You know, the world is at unrest. It always has been since the fall of man. Boy, right now, it seems like those waves are getting higher. They're getting higher. Knocking you all over the place. Knocking people and all their kind of thinking all around. You see, they're tossed about like a troubled sea does. They're not at rest. They do not have peace. They stay up at night thinking about what they can do next. (laughs) To destroy the peace of other people. That's what they do. So they can get rich. And power. That's two things they're after. That's what they want. And they don't care about the rest of mankind at all. They could care less whether you starve, whether you get sick. They don't care about you, whether you get sick or not. Put you in your home. Stay there. Don't go outside. Don't go to the playground, little kids. See, they, you know, they say, well, a lot of people, most people are thinking, well, that's a good thing. The governor is, we have a good governor, don't we? We really do. But the governors of most of these states, the Democrats, all of them, they say that, and what do they do? They go off to, to Mexico and tell you to be staying shut in your houses, as in what, a mayor uh, in, in Texas, or a governor of. California or the LA mayor go on and on and on with that, right? You know, we know that story. But they go and do likewise what they have always done. 
tell the people one, and the, but the thing is, we know that most of that stuff is just absolute hogwash. And honestly, you know, we want to take care of ourselves, but, you know, there's something out there. And it does cause sickness, it does cause death, deaths. Take care, use your mind, use your, your, your the intelligence of what God has given you to be able to, to do this. At the same time, use wisdom because everything that they're telling you, most of it's a lie. You guys know that? We'll move on. We're about the troubled sea. What's here? At the throne. It is absolute peace. It is undisturbed. It's calm. At the throne. All sorts of waves happening there on planet Earth and up there at the throne room of God. You have peace. It's it's like a sea of glass. Like crystal. You can see through it. It's pure. What's this going to look like? Wow. Streets of gold? I take this literally. Whatever it is, it's going to be much better than I can, I've ever seen in gold. You know what little that is I've seen. It's pure. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures. We saw the 24 elders... Now we see the four living creatures. Difficult. I say it's a kind of a combination between the cherubim and the seraphim. Cherubim we read of in Ezekiel chapter 10, I think it's verse 7. The cherubim were to have a face like a lion, a face like a calf, a face like a man, and a face like an eagle. Can I roll this down one? I'm afraid to. There you go. A lion, a calf, a man, an eagle. I did come up with a picture of them all together. (laughs) Uh, Four living creatures. They, you know, you go to Isaiah 6, we read about seraphim, and they had six wings. You know, you can read about that in yourself. Uh, Isaiah 6 is really good. Verse uh, 8, six wings around the, about them, and those wings were full of eyes. They're all seeing in a sense that they could see behind and front and such. They're not, not like the all-seeing God, but they have something here that we don't. <laughs> so it's a type of a mix of cherubim and seraphim, and eyes before them and behind them. They stand before the throne room of God, and they're just reflecting the beauty and the attributes of the Almighty God. One thing that I find so fascinating, and you'll see this like in Ezekiel or about the book of Daniel, these four again. You see, they were seeing visions what John would later then see. A lion. What's the book of Matthew about? How many Gospels do we have? Four. I'll go through this. I think you guys know it. Matthew writes about the king. Who is the king of the jungle? Who is the most fiercest of all the animals? The lion. 
Daniel uses that in his portrayal. So there you have a lion. In the book of Mark, you see a servant person, or in this case, a calf. The calves served the people. The book of Mark is all about serving man. God, Christ, is serving man. Matthew said that he's the king. All through Matthew, that's what he proves. All through Mark, God proves that he's a servant. The book of Luke is about the son of man. Dominates the book of Luke. Just read it sometimes. You'll keep seeing son of man, son of man, son of man, son of man. Revelation chapter 4. Throne, 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 throne. He's saying, pay attention. Did you hear me the first time? No, I didn't I didn't know there were thir- did you guys know there were thirteen throne words here in this chapter? And more than one in certain verses. That means pay attention. Right? The book of John is about the deity of Christ. Flying high is the eagle. So there you get the lion, the calf, the man, the eagle. These twenty or these four living creatures are portraying Christ ultimately. The gospels are about Christ, right? And so that these creatures come together, these angel like or angels come like this. Rather incredible. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, and here is worship. And they use that word in a triune way. Holy, 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Is the Lord, Yahweh, God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. There's one I know that was, who is, who is to come. And He's eternal. That's Christ, isn't it? He is. He is to come. He's divine. God puts a picture of Jesus Christ everywhere. And they are these, I guess you could say, are talking about administering God's rule for living creatures. They're involved in the judgments that will be poured out upon this earth. You will see the angels quite frequently in administering God's judgment. You also saw the angels come to the earth when Jesus was born. At this time of the year, that's what we celebrate, isn't it? The birth of Christ. The angels are in on all the important things that God does. They serve God. So are His people. 
He calls us to serve Him. What a privilege. Holy, 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 they say. Number seven, we get heavenly worship. We're going to cover this very quickly. I hate to say quickly, but here it is. All this creation that is in heaven, what are they doing? They're lost in wonder also, just like John. They're eternally lost in wonder are the angels. The love, the praise that they have for God here, we see just a great doxology before us. Holy, holy, holy. Worthy are You. Glory and honor and thanks. We see in verse 9, the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever. This is eternal worship. The 24 elders, I say that's us, or it's representing us, will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, we're not worthy. You are worthy. That little picture there of the crown, got that from Casting Crowns. The the, uh, album and the group is called Casting Crowns that was used in one of their album covers and that's a good name for a group, isn't it? Casting Crowns. They realize where all this is going. This is what it's all about. This is true praise. God gives those to us. We give them back because we realize that it all came from Him. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory Say it, honor and power. For you created all things. Take that public schools. Take that universities. Take that all the rest of the world. He created all things. One day they will bow down and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He's the Creator. And because of your will, Your perfect will. His free will. That's free will. It's God's free will to do what He wants and purposes. Existed and were created. All things were created by Him. God didn't create His Son. He, the Son, is the Creator along with the rest of the Trinity. They are all there making creation. That's funny. It ends with a Creator God. That's the problem. Most of the world does not believe in one of the most basic elements of truth. They do not believe in that God created this world with all the evidence. And so why would anybody, unless they have God's truth, take any kind of evidence and even believe it? They want it to turn out the way they want, so they still deny His existence, don't they? He created all things because that's why there is heavenly worship. Crowns are cast before Him. This is an unceasing worship for all of creation. Say glory, honor, and thanks. Glory, honor, and thanks. This book 
is a vision for encouragement, for comfort, for hope. Do you have it? Amen. It was written by a persecuted Christian, John the Apostle, at the Isle of Patmos, remember? Who was it written to? The persecuted Christians. And they needed to see Him. They needed to be exhorted by this Word and this vision that is given them. They needed this the most. What was it they needed? This view that we just read about. The vision was written with the purpose of encouraging not only them, but us today in 2020. We are to be encouraged and uplifted. His eternal purposes will come to pass. Bring it on. (laughs) If it's Your will, Lord, bring it on. Oh, because if all of us could get this vision, a revelation of God and His Son and His Spirit, His eternal purposes that must come to pass makes a difference in Christians like it does not make a difference to anyone else. Anyone who else we invite to be challenged by this truth of the Gospel that sets you free to be able to worship God and understand truth. Because He is the truth. And the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can give you this vision and to have this kind of comfort. A vision of God in control of everything. That's what He's saying. Chapter 4, pull it all down to this. Write this. Write this down if you need to. This is a vision of God in control of everything. Everything. My Christian friend, that'll get you through your life. Any tribulation, any trial, any suffering, any hardship, the vision of God, Christ, even in the harshest persecution that may or may not happen in your lifetime, something that leads up to the great tribulation. Any tribulation. You read this. You got it in your mind. You may not even be able to have a Bible to even read it. You have it in your mind and it will get you through. It will get you through because you'll have your mind in the right place. If we're going to have such a vision, we need to take time to get that vision always, whether we're reading it or whether we're thinking it. This chapter really helps, folks. And we need to take space to gaze upon God. Father, thank You for giving us this vision to gaze upon that John has shared with us. Lord, we are amazed we see the splendid majesty of Your glory through Your Word. And we know that we can use that to get us through this life. It's a joyous life, Lord, because You revealed Yourself to us. But we have something even further coming, and that's what we're saying when we say this. We're going to be sitting on the throne with You. We need to take a healthy view 
Jesus Christ. Have our eyes focused on Him. In Jesus' name, Amen.